Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech Disruptors by Bloomberg Intelligence. My name is Neeraj Patel. I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research group. We are delighted to have the founder and CEO of Velo3D, Benny Buller, today. We look forward to learning from Benny about Velo3D, an advanced metal additive manufacturing solution, his perspective on the evolution of the 3D printing market, the latest developments in materials, and the growth path for the company. With that, let's turn to Benny and the company he founded. Just as a starting point, Benny, we would like to get your history on yourself and how you came to launch Velo3D. Thank you, Nirosh. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm, I'm a, an engineer. I'm actually a physicist. I grew up in Israel and spent the first 10 years of my career in the technology unit of the Israeli intelligence, kind of working on very specialized products, collecting intelligence. I, I, on one of those projects, I got the national security help from, from the president of Israel. I, I moved to the United States quite some time ago and worked in semiconductor later on in solar solar cells photovoltaic. I always wanted to start a company since I was uh, kind of in my, still in my unit in the, in the Israeli intelligence. And I joined Kosla Ventures as an investment firm and worked there for, for two years, kind of on my path to know and understand enough how startups work to start a company, as well as to think about what it is that I want to, to do in terms of the area. I, I started a company in 2014, June, 2014, and this has been a wild ride since really having fun with it. Great. That's Good to hear. And and just how is this manufacturing company getting ahead of companies who have been around for a much longer period? That's a first point that we'd like to elaborate on. And then following up on that, you have some notable partnerships with SpaceX and some other big names in aerospace. If you could walk us through how that has developed over time. Kind of the, the impetus for me starting the this company was that I kind of completely by accident learned that people that are using additive manufacturing and people 3D printing additive manufacturing, same thing, right? In metals, when they think about 3D printing, when you think about 3D printing, you think about this magical technology that you can design almost anything, and then you can press a button and you're going to get the part out of a machine. Well, it turned out that when it comes to metal, this is really not the case. Production of parts, metal parts, high-performance high metal parts for metals is really, really difficult. The, the manufacturing limitations are extremely excessive and the manufacturing challenges are, are very serious. What I kind of observed is that parts people really want to make, they actually cannot make because of the geometrical limitations and what is manufacturable, which is a little of a conundrum because you, you think about this as this magical technology that can do anything. And turns out it can do a lot of things that other technologies cannot do, but there are also very basic things that you can do with other technologies that you cannot do with additive manufacturing. And some of those things are very profound and very important. So what I uh, basically envisioned and what the mission of the company was to allow customers to make the parts they really need at the highest quality that they really need without having to spend ages on developing these processes, developing the mastery of these manufacturing technologies, but actually being able to make the parts that you really need, make them quickly, make them at the quality that they need, and, and being able to take that to production. And when we did that, we opened a subset of the market that has been closed 
to additive manufacturing, a massive business opportunity that has been closed for additive manufacturing for a long time because those parts were not manufacturable, they were not manufacturable well, and that that opened the door for us to kind of very rapid expanding in the market, very rapid expansion in the market because we are not 100% competing with the existing incumbents in the market. We are expanding the market, focusing on opportunities that other people cannot address well. Great. And just on your point about materials and the availability of powdered metals, could you comment on how the advancements in material science technology has evolved over the last several years and where do you think that is heading over the near medium term? Yeah. So it's if you look at the industries we are operating in, those industries are very conservative and they are conservative for good reasons because they are doing very mission critical applications and the cost of failure in those applications is, is high and the stakes are very high. So they need to take a very extreme precautions and very extreme qualifications to make sure that they are not introducing into their production process flaws that will result in a disaster. Whether it's an airplane, a jet engine for an airplane, or it's the engines for a rocket that goes to space, or it's parts that go into an oil field or into a power station or a semiconductor factory. In all those cases, the the cost of failure is very expensive. So the customers take very serious steps to qualify and to make sure that there is nothing uncertain about this. they, They know what they are doing. So That means that the qualification of a new manufacturing technology, even when the designs are the same designs, even when the parts are the same parts and the materials are the same materials, just the fact that you are doing this with a different manufacturing technology is very odd. When you add to that the changes, like changes to the parts, it makes the the qualification even longer. When you add to that the invention of a new material, an introduction of a new material, a new material that was developed and engineered for additive manufacturing, you make it even longer. So this is why what you see in reality today is that the vast majority of additive manufacturing is taking into production parts made with alloys that have been in production for a very long time. And those alloys are now reproduced with additive manufacturing, reproducing very similar material quality of those alloys when they were produced in kind of traditional techniques. When you look at the future, though, there is a very unique opportunity, and that is that the very unique manufacturing conditions of additive manufacturing, and specifically laser powder bed fusion, which is the dominant manufacturing technology, it's about 80% of the market. When you look at the unique manufacturing conditions that involve a solidification of the solid metal from molten metal within tens of microseconds, in less than a millisecond, when materials solidify so quickly, you can now create alloys that you couldn't create before because those alloys are basically what's called not thermodynamically stable. So they would not be stable if 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 the material would cool down slowly. Because of the fast cool down, because of the fast freezing of this material, you basically can freeze in time this alloy that, that would not be stable if it would be created slowly. So the result is that this opens the door to a lot of alloys that were not possible before, that were not manufacturable before. And those alloys, many of them have unique properties. Some of them can be much more manufacturable alloys by additive manufacturing than equivalent alloys that have been existed, that had existed before that, that are hard to produce by additive manufacturing. Other alloys represent superior material properties to alloys that have been present before. So 
I think this field of new materials that are enabled by additive manufacturing will be a tremendously prolific and productive field. But in order for that to take its full impact, and we will need to go through the step of wider adoption of additive manufacturing in its current form with existing alloys. And then this will be another layer of advancement and value that additive manufacturing will, be, will, will bring to the market. And along those lines of the advanced alloy material, which verticals are primarily consuming these advanced materials? And second, can you elaborate on the partnership with Elon Musk, SpaceX? Regarding the industries, so the most advanced industry in adopting additive manufacturing is the different segments of the aerospace industry. So between space and aviation and defense, those are the, those companies are the, the fastest adopters of additive manufacturing. You also see customers adopting that in power generation. Fundamentally, gas turbine for power is very similar to the gas turbine that is a jet engine. So these are very similar products. You also see that a lot in oil and gas, and you start seeing that also in semiconductor and capital equipment for semiconductors. So those are the industries that have been the most avid adopters. Among all those industries, by far, the most agile adopter is space. And I think that a lot of this adoption has been really led by SpaceX. And if you ask why is there so much adoption in of additive manufacturing in, in space, I think one big reason for that is because of all the industries that I mentioned, space is by far the most entrepreneurial of those industries. Entrepreneurial in the sense that there are a lot entrepreneurial-led companies, a lot of startups that are really leapfrogging uh, incumbent competitors by moving much quicker, by doing much bolder things that incumbents are slow to, to do and to adopt. And additive manufacturing, without question, has been one of the great forces that enabled this revolution. So when you look at a lot of the companies that we are partner with, partnering with in, in the space industry, what you can see is that they have been accomplishing on a budget of millions or tens of millions of dollars what the government and the big defense contractors and the big aerospace companies have accomplished with budgets of billions of dollars and tens of years. So additive manufacturing has allowed them to do this massively, you know, this massive loon shots and of real experiments and real bold initiatives on, on a very, very lean budget compared to what has been possible before. And I think the personality of Elon Musk and SpaceX looms as the big magnet that it kind of inspired all those companies to follow SpaceX into this. That's interesting, Benny. And just zooming out a little bit here, if you could paint the landscape, you had mentioned some incumbents versus new entrants over the last several years. How does it currently map out? And we know in the maybe consumer-oriented 3D printing market, it's quite different than the manufacturing, additive manufacturing space. If you could outline how you see the competitors lining up, that would be great. Sure. So if you, again, I will focus on metal additive manufacturing, right? So, so if you look at the history of 3D printing or additive manufacturing, all the key technologies in 3D printing, most of them have been invented in the 80s or early 90s. So this is really, you know, 30, 35 year old type of market. Throughout most of this evolution, most of the market was for prototyping. In fact, for many years, it was 
equivalent, the term 3D printing was synonymous with the term rapid prototyping and additive manufacturing was coined as, as, as a way to kind of separate where additive manufacturing wanted to go, where 3D printing wanted to go compared to where it started. So most of that was for prototyping, most of us was for polymers in, in plastics. What happened in really the last decade and, and maybe even less than that is metal has emerged as a very significant portion of this market and very significant portion of what metal has been used for is actually for production. And some of that is already in production. And most of that is in development applications that are going to production. And and I want to explain kind of the fundamental difference between what I think of as development versus prototyping. So when I think about prototyping, it's about making parts with one manufacturing technology you have the full intention of going to production with another manufacturing technology. So you're just making the parts as a way to test them, but you don't really have the intent to take this parts and this manufacturing technology to production in, in this way. But when you actually do want to take the manufacturing technology to production as the way that you're going to parts to do to produce the parts when you are in full production, the development effort to mature this manufacturing technology to qualify that and to make sure that the parts that you are making are consistently meeting requirements, both on quality and cost, to 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 allow you to go to production is a very intense pro development process, and that's where most of metal additive manufacturing is is heading today. That's where most of the efforts are. That's where a lot of the capital investment, I would say most of the capital investments are. And that's where I would say 100% of our effort has been. So what we are seeing now is a very uh, emergence in the last eight, 10 years of additive manufacturing in metals as a very important field, as a very significant field in terms of kind of the, the sh its share of the total market. When you look at the big players in uh, additive manufacturing, in, in metal additive manufacturing, so the, the the largest company that really dominated this field, that invented this field, is a German company called EOS. There are a few other smaller Europe that emerged in the late 90s or around the 2000. And basically all of those technologies all of those companies have been using very similar technology called laser powder bed fusion, and they have been competing one with each other for, for quite some time. And what you see now is kind of a, a disruption of this market by new entrants such as 3D. Along that point of you know process versus material, how is that mapped out for your company and other entrants? You had mentioned one process here, laser powder fusion is it quite distinctive of an advantage in terms of the actual process or is the advantage still on the material input yeah it's it's an important question so let me let me explain so again as i said laser powder bed fusion has been the dominant technology in the market for a long time the alternative most of the alternative technologies have been invented about the same time so they are 25 30 years old as well so what is and and you could basically kind of uh, almost separate in uh, this 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 world into uh, what is special about laser powder bed fusion or powder bed fusion in general is that you are using a laser or an energy source to take particles of powder loose particles of powder and then melt them and when they solidify few tens of microseconds after you melted them you have a solid metal that is practically 100% dense it's practically 100% dense with a fantastic material quality. So this fantastic material quality is what allows those parts to get to a very mission critical applications and to compete in very demanding scenarios on, on, in very, on very demanding parts. The other part of the market is what I would call 
uh, green body technologies or centered technologies that involve centering. In all those technologies, and there are many, many variants on that, but in all those technologies, you are using one of the techniques that has been used to 3D print in polymers. And you 3D print mixture of solid powder, generally, with some type of a binder organic material around that. And the powder, when you are finished in this part, is representing only 60-70% at most of the volume of the parts. And in order to finish the part, now you have to center this very much like people used to center ceramics for thousands of years in a kiln. So when you center that, you condense the material, it gets now much more dense, but it doesn't get any close to 90 and to the 100% density that you're getting from, from laser powder with fusion. You get to densities that are somewhere between 90 to 97, 98%. And this few percent of missing material of porosity in the material are enough to make this material completely not usable for mission critical applications, for the, for the applications that requiring the high strengths. So it doesn't mean that these materials are not usable. It doesn't mean that those applications are not usable. They're just not competing on those mission-critical mission large parts, strong parts, harsh environments applications that the laser powder bed fusion has, has been targeting. So this is why uh, I believe you see the vast majority of the market uh, is focusing on laser powder bed fusion, and those centered technologies are still kind of on the edges of the market. Very interesting, Benny. Just pulling back on another topic in this field, touching a bit on government policy, and specifically, you know, during the pandemic period, a lot of supply chain disruptions have emerged, plus this onshoring trend has been cyclical and, and publicized over the last several years. Where does the U.S. currently stand in terms of their interest on additive manufacturing and what are some of the specific initiatives they are undertaking today? Yeah, so so specifically for us, we have been actually historically selling mostly in the United States. So we started in the United States as because we are an American company. It was easiest for us. So as of today, still the vast majority of our sales are in the United States. We are now also selling in 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 Europe and in Japan, in Australia. But if you if you look at the general trend that you see in industrial companies, what you see is a lot of American companies are now realizing how fragile is supply chain and are now trying to build a much more diverse a much more robust and much more agile supply chain. And one of the nice things that additive manufacturing allows them to do is to, instead of relying on very companies that are single source and that are extremely non-responsive, they can now set up a supply chain that allows them to produce the parts locally and very cost-effectively with economy of scale. And this has actually been a very critical part of our business. So one of the things that is very unique about Velo3D is that all our printers are made so that they are basically copy exact, so that you can print the same file from an OEM into a number by a number of suppliers, getting you exactly the same product with exactly the same properties without relying on any magic that the contract manufacturers have to, to to get to that. So that actually allows the formation of a very scalable supply chain that is kind of a copy exact supply chain that can be onshored and that can provide much more agile and much more responsive solutions than, than what was possible before. So we, we see a very, very strong <coughs> wind of companies reacting to that. I just want to to explain that these are trends that take years to actually fulfill 
because of the very long time that it takes to qualify new products for those segments. So the companies are acting on that, but the full effect of those acts are still a few years to come. And along that point of years of development work and high engineering and research and development investment, how is your view on the capital markets and the financing available to your industry and to new entrants? So uh, I think that, you know, we are getting into a very difficult financing environment. So right now, from our perspective, we are mostly selling on companies in these segments that I uh, described to you. And those segments are, you know, not nothing is immune from recession, but those segments are generally holding well in right now. We don't see any decline in the demand yet. This could happen. I'm not saying that it might, it, it will not happen, but so far we have seen a pretty strong demand. In general, if you think about government spending on defense, it generally increases when other par- parts of the economy drop. When you look at the current forces, we see relatively high oil and gas prices that will probably remain high for the next few years. So, so that, that is going to drive a lot of investment, both in power and in, in the energy sectors. So you see, Uh, those forces kind of as balancing somewhat the inflationary and recession potential that is that is coming today. At the same time, the capital market is extremely nervous and it's been going to be very difficult for companies seeking financial, you know, capital financial raising finance, raising capital, uh, whether they are private or public, whether they are in early stage or later stage. It doesn't mean that companies will not be able to do that, but it's going to be more difficult, in my opinion, given this uncertainty in the market. And just along the macro commentary, how is the retention and recruitment of employees in the science and engineering fields from your seat? So we are operating in Silicon Valley, which has been always a very competitive market. We were able to retain the talent well over the years with very low attrition. When it comes to hiring now, I feel this is a better time to hire than we had in a long time. We we were in a very imbalanced supply demand when it comes to labor in the last few, you know, year to one and a half years. So it seems like this becoming more balanced now. Hiring has always been difficult, but but there's a really good talent there and, and, and companies that are growing can get this talent. Okay, Benny, that's really good to hear more metrics coming in balance. This has been such an insightful conversation. Let's wrap up your final thoughts on what you see in future developments or technologies for Velo 3D that we should look out for over the next five years. If you, if you see the trajectory that we are in, so 3D is helping companies in this industrial segments that I mentioned to really revolutionize their supply chain, revolutionize on how they make products and allow them to make better products. So over the next five years, I can see us becoming a real foundation and mainstream manufacturing technology for these companies where they are using this heavily in production. And they are relying on this technology to be the centerpiece in the development of new products that will be much more environmentally friendly, much more efficient, much more reliable, and much faster to develop. So I I see a lot of innovation and I see a lot of disruption that is happening in the market that is enabled by this technology. So very exciting times ahead of us. Great to hear, Benny. We enjoyed this and look forward to having you here on Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.